Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. John Katsimatidis here. It's Monday. And so many things are going on in the studio with us. we got Judge Richard Weinberg, a moderate, common-sense Democrat. Uh, we have a former chief of staff, uh, Mr. Carbonetti. How are you, John? We call you chief. That works for me. And... And Congresswoman, do we say Congressman or Congresswoman? You know what? I'm a Republican. I know what a woman is, and I'm proud to be a Congresswoman. <laughs> we got Congresswoman Nicole Manutakis. And my sidekick, uh, how is your dad, my sidekick? He, we got the test results. They were good. They were good today. They that is wonderful nice. news. Now, we, yes. we missed you on, on Friday, uh, but you were taking care of your dad, and yes. we understand yes, that. Yes, the test results came out good. Thank God. And we have a great show for you today. And uh... we, we have a great show. We are going to be speaking with Ari Fleischer. You know, he's a former White House press secretary. He's also now the president of Ari Fleischer Communications. He has a great book out talking about truth in media. Is there any? What truth in media? <laughs> exactly. Well, right here, John. Right here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Amir Karanji, he's the founder and publisher of The Real Deal. Dr. Mikolos, can COVID aid your brain? But first on the line, we've got Bill O'Reilly. He's a journalist, a prolific author. His Killing series, he's already sold about 20 million books worldwide. His latest book, it's what is it, Killing the Killers, The Secret War Against Terrorists. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Bill O'Reilly. Hey, Lydia, how you guys doing? Everybody good? Well, it's Monday. I mean, I, I, I like Fridays better than Mondays. Yeah. Well, you know, the reality of life, John, we have to go to work and we have to do um, what we have to do. And that's why we're here. You just sent me a uh, video of a confrontation in uh, Uptown. Yep. A police officer and a young guy. At the subway. Very disturbing. Very disturbing video. That's at 125th Street, Bill O'Reilly. Are you surprised to learn that the attacker was ROR'd, released on his own recognizance less than 24 hours later, despite recently also having been arrested for robbery and having a loaded gun? Well, my surprise, that's the law in uh, New York. They're not going to hold you um, unless you really hurt somebody. You know, we can call Lee Zeldin and ask him. On Thursday, the guy went up. Everybody knows it. But what everybody doesn't really process is how embarrassing this is to the state of New York when the federal government has to come in and arrest a guy that attacked Zeldin up in Monroe County, up near Rochester, and charge him. So he'll be held when uh, the New York authorities um, let him go. And I wanted to ask um, the judge, couldn't the judge up there hold this guy for observation? Obviously, he's a kook. He's yeah, a loon. He, he could have sent him out for what we call a 730 exam, saying he wasn't competent to understand the charges against him or to assist in his own, uh, his own defense. He would have been objected yeah. to so by the defense lawyer, but the judge could have done it, yes. Okay, so you evaluate the guy, medical examination. You see if he's a danger to anybody else other than Lee Zeldin. But even that they don't do. I, I just, to me, now we've reached the point of no return in New York. We've got to get a uh, new governor in there and overturn this Nobel law, and we have to start to take this ultra seriously. But the local bill, just so you know, in my humble opinion, the local 
police undercharged it because that could have just as well under state law been an attempted murder because that was a dangerous instrumentality. Well, he, was was going for, he was going for the jugular. That's right. Literally, if he had hit it, he could have uh, killed Zeldin. Zeldin could have bled out right there. And this guy yesterday that attacked the police officer, I thought if you assaulted a cop, isn't that a higher class? Of that should be an assault, too. Yes. So then why wasn't he charged with that? Why would he With just a be prior ROR'd? record of having a loaded handgun. Because, right, and a robbery. Because you have, you have either local police or local DAs undercharging these people, and they shouldn't be undercharging. And, uh, Bill, what do you think about the fact that Hochul, she sent out that list of where Zeldin was going to be? and What was she calling him, like a far-right nut job or something like that? I mean, yeah, she's not. But that's just, they all do that. Um, I'm, not, I'm not concerned about that. I don't think Hochul wanted anything bad to happen to Lee Zeldin, um, but I do think that she's the governor, and she is allowing our quality of life in New York, every single person, it's on the decline. And I, I mean, you know, I know millions of people are going to vote for Kathy Oakland in November. I just don't get it. I just don't. I, my, I know a lot of people, and when we discuss politics, they never say to me, oh, I love Kathy Hochul or I love Joe Biden. It's always some excuse why they have to vote for them. It's like, well, I don't really like them, but I have to because of Trump or some other insane thing. Yeah, Bill, but, it's, no, it's know, uh, Nicole Maliotakis, and I thank you. You're right on point there. But you know what? In the recent polls in New York State, three out of four people said that public safety is the number one issue. So therefore, you would really by logic, think that the three out of four people would not vote for Kathy Hochul because she is responsible for this radical bail law. They talk about gun violence. Well, guess what? They're releasing people caught with illegal guns all the time back onto the streets. And I'm tired of reading these articles, and I'm sure the listeners are as well. You know, 10, 11, 12, maybe two dozen prior arrests, and they keep getting released back onto the streets. Uh, at minimum, the state should put a dangerousness clause in there, so like other states have. Maybe the judge can weigh in here. No, as, as we've talked about, we're the only state, 49 other states, if a judge finds a person that is dangerous to the public safety, can hold them in. And the federal system is the same standard. We're the only ones who are the outliers. It's ridiculous. And, Congresswoman, what about that case just last week about those two Mexican drug smugglers busted with over, what, a million dollars worth of meth, and they were just ROR'd? I mean, this is what happened also in California, I mean, the, it, with the fentanyl pills. It's, hey, that, it's you, outrageous. You know, who loves, you know who loves Joe Biden's open borders and Kathy Hochul's <laughs> ridiculous bail law? The drug traffickers do. 1.2 million in meth caught in New York, and they were released right back onto the streets. And in California, it was 150,000 fentanyl pills released back onto the streets. Also, so the 3,000 violent criminals in New York City. For whom do the bells toll? Eight and a half million New Yorkers or 3,000 violent criminals? And we're going to be blowing the bugle real loud in September and October. So everybody out there, please listen. You know, it's a uh, almost a sin, and these guys aren't going to show up for their hearing, by the way, the guys with the meth and the guys out in California in Tulare County with the fentanyl pills. They're not going to show up. They don't even know where the Tulare County guys are now. They went to rearrest them again on federal charges. They're gone. And the guys will never show up for the meth hearing here. And even if they did, you know, and the way the justice system is in New York, um, even if they got convicted, they probably wouldn't do a lot of time. Now, this kid 
up in uh, Harlem that uh, got involved with the police officer. Everybody can watch this video and see how nasty it is. You're really nasty. You think he's going to do any time, Judge? You think he'll do time for that? If, if I were the uh, judge, he would do time. Officer like that? If I were the judge, he would do time. And a lot of my colleagues whose eyes are bleeding and head exploding because there's bail reform law and weak enforcement by the DAs, they would do it too. Let me tell you something. All that right, shows you how tough of a job it is being a cop. That you, was a kid said, jumping now, a turnstile. What is Bragg going to charge this guy with? This happened yesterday. We don't know what he's going to be charged with. No, that we do, we do know what he's been charged with. They already released him. Yeah, he's ROR'd. He's released his own recognizance. They undercharged him. They should have charged him with an assault, too. The, the kid that beat up the cop. Wow. They already he, released him. They charged out? him. In, yeah, he's out. Now, the, the pe- he's ROR'd. Now, we were yelling and screaming on Friday. Uh, and, you know, we have a lot of law enforcement people that listen to this uh, channel, uh, this station, WABC. And about Zeldin, the FBI should arrest the, the Zeldin guy. And he was arrested. Yeah, the yeah, FBI. They has got him. And so he's not going to be out for a while. But what did they? What did Bragg charge this guy? This guy with? You know the exact charge? Yes. In, uh... Yes. It was. Uh, let me see what we have here. But let me. You guys. Let's see. All right. I'm, let me. Let me. Let me. Like this is. This is the, 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 the. Yeah. I mean, but this is the bottom line. This is why you're seeing a record number of police officers. Assault retiring. on a police officer, obstruction of governmental administration, and resisting arrest. He's 16. So that's why it looks like they just ROR'd him. His girlfriend also was charged, the yeah, other girl, because she was jumping on the cop, too. But we don't know exactly. Law. That's the other That's the other uh, issue. Get out of rich. So uh, assault on a police officer, obstruction of governmental administration, and resisting arrest. What's funny is the cop was just going to let him go yeah, for jumping the turnstile. It's a desk appearance. It just shows you how hard it is to be a cop in this city. That's a nothing. It's a desk appearance ticket that escalated to an all-out brawl. Yeah, you put the cop in a headlock. Yeah, it's terrible. Bill, so, see, I, Bill, we surprised you. We yeah. surprised you because you didn't realize he was ROR'd. Bill, can I ask you a question no, I, about... I, I I didn't know it. You know, look, my job, I'm heavy into the national deal, but now that I do the uh, 9 o'clock show on WABC, it's segue into the local uh, situation. Can but I talk I, to you about... I'm going to predict the... this kid. This kid won't do any time on this. They'll bust it down to disorderly or whatever. He should be charged with a felony, and he should do, in a juvenile hall, he should do till he's 18. Take him off the street till he's 18. That's Prior right. arrest for a loaded handgun. Yep. What, what, can yeah, can I ask you about the, uh, the, okay. Bi- the Biden cabinet? And if people want to watch the video, by the way, they can just go to our social media, WABC social media. We put it everywhere. So we got permission to do that from the guy who got yeah, the but video. But this is, this is again, is the, the raise the age law. Covering it's not well, just Mr. the bail Listen, guys, Mr. O'Reilly is our guest. Let him speak. No, no, no. The uh, local TV news is covering this. I guess they are. Uh, nope, I didn't weigh in on that. They're not. Are you sure? Well, I haven't seen it anywhere. I've seen the I've seen the Brooklyn pastor. This came out this morning. I've seen the Brooklyn pastor guy that got robbed. You know, on while a Facebook live stream. I saw that on what is that MSNBC over there? But the local news channels, I haven't even seen this story anywhere. Unbelievable. I know it was a thunderstorm, so they have to lead with that. Um, <laughs> First 15 minutes. Television, television news, that's what they do these days. They do the weather for 20 minutes, and then they'll give you some uh, other stuff. But that that's one of the problems that in New York City and state is that you have a very weak local news, TV news foundation. 
So if you if if the commentators of which they they don't have them because they're afraid, but the anchors, when I worked for Channel Two News, it was Jim Jensen, Rollins Smith, Dave Marish. Remember those guys? And then mm-hmm. correspondingly, it was Butel and Grimsby on Channel Seven. Uh, Scarborough was still there on four. Well, these guys had, were heavyweight guys, and and if they said something and if they were outraged about something, that got around the community really fast. That's gone. So you don't have a central like town meeting square on television, local television anymore. And that has led to a lot of this insanity, whereas the people don't know how bad it is unless they themselves are caught up in it. And as a journalist, I'm stepping back and I'm going, it's almost a total abdication on the television front of telling New Yorkers, look, this situation is terrible and it could get you. You could become involved in something like this. They're afraid to do it. Now, one of the reasons WABC Radio has gone uh, like a rocket in the ratings is because we're not afraid to do it. We do it. But the impact of pictures, you can't have pictures on the radio. You see that fight, and I, I'm going to broadcast it on, uh, on my national show tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to – the whole fight. I'm going to run the whole thing. And I'm going to show people what happened because it's shocking. It's actually shocking this police officer is risking his life, and this kid does not care, clearly doesn't care, whether he hurts this officer or himself. Kid doesn't care. And what do you think is going to happen with that kid? He's going to kill somebody. Eventually he'll kill somebody. He wanted to kill that cop. I mean, he was putting him in a headlock. I've never seen such a... I mean, 16 years old and to have such a lack of respect. Well, what are, we, what are you going to be talking about tonight's show? Bill O'Reilly's on Monday through Friday from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock on WABCradio.com, 770 on your dial, and on your iPhone. With, uh, what's our iPhone up? 77 WABC or BillOReilly.com. What are you going to be talking about, Bill? Well, we're going to walk through the entire, because most people didn't watch it, the entire January 6th. And tell you what's true and what isn't true, and back it up. So we got the everything's there now, and I'll just give you a teaser. Give us a teaser. So we need it. This, this woman uh, Hutchinson, Cassidy Hutchinson, she testified that President Trump was in a Secret Service limo, and then pushed the Secret Service guy driving and grabbed the steering wheel. We all remember that. I remember. Headlines everywhere, right? New York Times, Washington Post. Everywhere. Did the committee call the two Secret Service guys who are in the car? I don't know. No. 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 They have not testified? And they said they were willing to. Yeah. No. They were not issued a subpoena. No subpoenas for them. Mm. Why? Uh, are the American people recognizing that this is a little bit politicized? A little? Yeah, they know. They know because the viewership's very low on it, but. This is the scandal. The committee knew or knows that those Secret Service agents were going to come in under oath and testify that what Cassidy Hutchinson's hearsay was, was false. They knew that. So they didn't issue the subpoenas for the two Secret Service agents to come in and testify in front of the committee. Would would they they suggest to the Justice Department that she would be indicted for lying to Congress? It's not lying, John. It's hearsay. She didn't see the incident. 
She said someone told her. And the corrupt media then immediately says, oh, it has to be true, a la Justice Kavanaugh. Same thing. Oh, hearsay. Now, in, in Kavanaugh, it was a person said, no, he did it to me, but had no corroborating evidence at all. All of the other people around that woman, Blasey Ford, said, we didn't see that. She never said that. But here it's worse because Hutchinson, they could have testified, the Secret Service guys, whether it happened or not. But the committee didn't even call them. Who does that, Judge Weinberg? It's crazy. It is crazy. Who does that? Only a kangaroo court, Bill. Only a kangaroo court. And the New York Times, the Washington Post, all the networks, this is the lead story. That's corruption. Well, thank you so much, Bill O'Reilly. And speaking of corruption of the media, we will be speaking with Ari Fleischer coming up. Thank you so much, Bill O'Reilly. Common Sense with Bill O'Reilly, Monday through Friday, 9 o'clock, right here on WABC. Thank you so much, sir. Oh, did we lose him? Oh, we lost him. We lost him. All right, keep it right here, Cats at Night. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. In studio, again, we have Tony Carbonetti, Congresswoman Nicole Meliotakis, Judge Weinberg, and of course, John Katzmatidis and myself. And now we have on the line for us Ari Fleischer. He is the president of Ari Fleischer Communications. He has a great new book out. It's called Suppression, Deception, Snobbery, and Bias, Why the Press Gets So Much Wrong and Just Doesn't Care. Welcome to Cats at Night, Ari Fleischer. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. So we well, were just okay. Sorry, sorry. Does the press ever tell the truth? Uh, tell us about. Give us the scoreboard. Which press uh, tells the truth? What percentage of the press doesn't? Ah, well, on, on political stories, it's very hard to know that the liberal mainstream media tells you the truth because they don't too often. So many of their stories are deceptions, and especially when it came to President Trump, you know, they, they just decided that the American people made a mistake by electing Trump in 2016, and they took it upon themselves to fix it. And so that's why the Steele dossier was given credibility. That's why collusion was given three years of credibility when it never should have been given any credibility. They're activists, and that's what I lament in the book. They've turned themselves into activists for a cause, and that cause is almost always a liberal democratic cause. I mean, if they're, if they're not getting the story right, I, I I always hate to talk about liberal, conservative, because half the people don't understand what, what you're saying. I mean, if the news is wrong, the news is wrong. Uh, what, what say you, uh, Tony Carbonetti? No, uh, Ari, when we were kids, the only guy that could go on TV and, and get everything wrong was the weatherman. And they'd go, go into work <laughs> the next day and still have their job. These political reporters don't apologize for anything. There's no... Oops, I made a mistake. I was given wrong information. Nothing. It all has to fit their narrative every time, or they don't even talk about it. Here's my favorite example in the book, and you talk about narrative. The Saturday after the election of 2020, the networks, Fox, everybody proclaims that Biden is the victor. That night, church bells went off in Paris. Fireworks went off in London. ABC, CNN, and NBC all report to the American people that it's in celebration of Donald Trump's defeat. You know what? The church bells go off every single Saturday night in Paris. It's a call to mass. Fireworks <laughs> that one night. Fireworks went off because it was a celebration of a 500-year-old holiday 
called Guy Fawkes Day, Bonfire Night, the commemoration of the failed attack on King James I in 1605. It had nothing to do with America's election, nothing. But at ABC it did, at CNN it did, at NBC it did. Because when you are a reporter and you can't stand Trump and you think everybody you know can't stand Trump and everybody in your newsrooms can't stand Trump, you think the church bells and the fireworks about the same thing that you think. It's a narrative. And once they found out how embarrassingly wrong they were, they didn't correct it. They didn't apologize. They just, as Tony said, they just let it slide and went on to the next story. Ari Fleischer, I was a reporter. I've been a reporter for 20 years. And I was a reporter in 2016 when Trump won. And I remember everybody saying there's just no way Hillary's got this in the bag because a lot of reporters are in this liberal bubble world, this elitist bubble world. I joke around with John Katzmatidis before, and I said to him, I'm a girl from the Bronx. I'm kind of one of those gumshoe, work-your-way-up type of reporters. But most of the kids that are in the newsroom, the dad is a CEO, the mom is this, that, you know, they're legacy kids. And so they live in this world that just doesn't exist. So I literally saw reporters crying. I'm not joking. Oh, when yeah, Trump yeah. won, he, they were crying and they couldn't accept it. And they became um, almost fanatical. And they were on this sort of crusade to right the wrong that America made. And it's so bad for our democracy because we need to have a press that we can pick up and say, oh, I believe it. Now, I'm going to tell you what I think about it. That's up to me, the people. But I accept that as a fact. I accept it as truth. And we don't have that anymore. So so twice now I've gone to Columbia Journalism School and addressed the students there. They invited they me allow to, you? to their classes. Well, they, they probably won't after my book. Uh, so twice I've addressed their classes. And after my little remarks, I said to them, just out of curiosity, in the previous presidential race, how many of you voted Republican? How many Democrat? 24 to nothing. For the Democrat in both times I did it. You know, this is who's becoming a journalist. And they say that they're neutral. They say they're objective. They say it doesn't matter what my party is or how I vote. Well, of course it matters. It matters. Here's another thing I did in my book. I hired an opposition research firm to look at the party registrations at the White House press corps. It's public information. I had these guys pull it. 12 to 1 Democrat to Republican at the White House. 12 to 1. Ari, I'm reading your book this weekend. Tell Uh, tell us about it. Actually, I'm lying. I'm going to download it on Audible. Did you do the uh, read it? Did did you read it for Audible? I I did not. I did not. I I hired somebody to do the read. How lazy are you, Ari? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Ari. Tell us the name of the book again because we're going to have to go to that break. It is called Suppression, Deception, Snobbery, and Bias, Why the Press Gets So Much Wrong and Doesn't Care. I will listen to it this weekend. But a big began at the very beginning when they kept Biden in the basement, Ari, and they didn't let him out. And now they won't let him uh, speak except off the teleprompter. What do you say about that? Because when he does speak, he says he has cancer and asthma and all these wrong things. There's clearly no transparency in the Biden administration. What do you think, Ari Fleischer? Well, I think the American people are about to start fixing this wrong. Republicans are likely on their way to a massive blowout election in just three months, just over three months. And then I predict to you, Joe Biden will, will announce in early 2023 he is not running for re-election. The Democrats don't want an unpopular 80-year-old leading them into the future. Okay. Ari, we got to go. But more importantly, I know, you're like me, you're a Yankee fan. Are we getting Juan Soto? <laughs> Do we have to call Randy Levine up and start working on him? We don't need Soto. We're good enough without him and beat the Mets. Tomorrow night we're beating the Mets. I'm with you. Well, thank you All so right. much, Ari Fleischer. Come it. back to Cats at Night anytime, John.
Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. And uh, we're going to be having Lou Dobbs coming up in about 30 seconds. Uh, I think he's calling in. And then also in. Amir Karanji. He's the founder and publisher of The Real Deal. And then, John, are you going to give us some good news possibly about the economy or what? Or is it all bad? Because Janet Yellen says we're not going into a recession. Well, you know, the government so. is going to force <laughs> us into recession. I'll be talking about that with, Ari, uh, with uh, Amir. And then Dr. Uh, Mikolos, keep it here. Yes. Uh, let's go to Lou Dobbs and find out what's going on in the markets. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night show. Again, we got Tony Carbonetti, Congresswoman Nicole Meliotakis, Judge Weinberg, of course, John Katz Matidis, and myself, Lydia Serrani, on the line with us right now. We have the founder and publisher of The Real Deal, Amir Karanji. Welcome to Cats at Night, Amir. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. Amir, the, the real deal has become the Bible of what's going on in the real estate industry. And, and uh, how long ago did you found it? I founded it 20 years ago, but if that's if it makes if it's the Bible, does that make me uh, Moses or you know one of those guys? But uh, I, we I founded it 20 years ago because there was really nothing in the market that covered uh, real estate the way I wanted to cover it, and it's just really taken off from there. And I'm, we're very proud of it, and we, we're continually growing. And right now, believe it or not, we're in six markets, and we're in New York City, obviously, where we started, and South Florida, and Chicago, and L.A., and San Francisco. And I'm actually in Dallas right now because Texas is our next market that we're growing into. And I hear sometimes you do the Hamptons, too. Uh, yeah, we cover the Hamptons in the summer. You know, we go where our readers are. So, you know, initially, when uh, my guys were like, we have to go down to Miami. It's the sixth borough of New York. And I was like, no, I'm really comfortable in New York. We still have a lot of work to do in New York. But we went down to Miami, and believe it or not, a lot of days we get more traffic from South Florida than we get from New York in some cases. And we, you know, we get over 200,000 visitors to our site every day. Before, Amir, before I give you <clears throat> the bad news, tell us your view of what's going on in New York real estate. Is New York you know, coming New York back? Is- Are the office buildings coming back? What's going on? Yeah, well, the office market is, you know, remains in trouble. Like leasing volume is down in the second quarter again. You know, vacancy rates in Manhattan, they say it's at 18%, but that's for the, you know, the triple class A stuff. I really believe that if you include the class B, class C stuff, it's, you know, it's much worse than that. And I think that there's a real fear among landlords, and it's it's legitimate because, uh, you know, leasing brokers will tell you that they don't expect the recovery to be uh, uh, to go back to the pre-pandemic era, so it's um, it, it's a scary time for big commercial landlords uh, right now. Well, uh, the bad news from my end, I met with, and I won't mention the name of the bank, uh, one of the top four banks in the city today. And you ready for this, Amir? Uh, not only they said the Fed has come down on them, and the fact is they want more. Uh, they, they need more capital uh, to support real estate loans. And there's a lot of major banks turning off real estate loans. 
So well, that's that's been out there for that's been out there since the interest rates started going up and all the uncertainty happened in the market. But this is you, no, I mean, it goes beyond that. It. This is the Fed giving the order. You know how we right. talked about the SEC has come down on on the banks about the environmental uh, energy supporting energy companies. The, yes, and, and yeah. they come down on that, and now the uh, the Fed has come down on them to. Uh, reduce the what do you call it, the differential of how much of their capital they need to support real estate loans. I'm surprised the Fed would even get involved with that at that level. They're that, involved. Uh, <laughs> well, that's uh, that's pretty surprising. I mean, I feel like the banks will do whatever they want to do. I have heard that like even well-known developers are not able to get loans right now. But look, John, you just got a record loan for uh, for Southern Brooklyn ever for you know 160 million dollars, 154 million dollars, whatever it was. Uh, that's not so bad. I, I mean, a million here, a million there, you know. But uh, but you got to remember, I'm a CEO for 52 years. I've never had a bad loan. Yeah, look, also those banks work for you. Like you know, not everybody has the the position that you do, but look, if you have the backing that you do, that you have if you have the support that you do, they still do it. Like for for the Larry Silversteins, for the John Katz of the world, the banks are still lending. But you know, for the for a lot of legitimate developers, uh, you know, other people who are legitimate developers or at least consider themselves to be legitimate developers, they're not able to get loans. On the, on the projects that are like you know halfway baked, which is terrible, and puts them in a horrible position. And, and also, really and either. also, uh, uh, new housing starts are in deep crap. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there, there was this uh, great story the other day that like it's the the way to fix housing, the, the the low housing situation, is to build housing during times when nobody wants to buy housing. But then it's like a catch twenty two. Nobody wants to build when the market is down. And, uh, you know, at the same time, we, ha- we don't have enough housing for everybody. But I guess it really depends on who you are and what kind of property you're looking for. Like, I'm in Texas right now. Some of these markets have been growing at such a crazy pace. And all I hear is, like, all the new people who are coming to town, to Texas, are from, uh, you know, from New York. They're from Chicago. They're from L.A. What part of Texas and- are you in? I'm in Dallas right now, but the surrounding area of uh, Dallas, like Frisco and Plano and these places, like Frisco, for example, it's a city that was you know 6,000 people in the 1980s, and now it's 235,000 people. And uh, it, the pace that they're growing at, it's insane because it, it, they create these environments where they don't have to deal with uh, – the issues that the city of Dallas actually has to deal with. So you have all these sort of, uh, you know, people who are social, uh, uh, liberally social and then conservative in the things that they want to be conservative in, uh, in, and they create these cities for themselves, and they they love it, and they they have everything they need. There's offices there. There is, uh, you know, retail, hotels. They have their own stadium for stuff. It's uh, incredible, and they create these uh, little uh, little towns and little cities for themselves right outside of Dallas, and they're growing at a very rapid pace. Well, Amir, we've got a minute left. Anything else you want to tell uh, all New Yorkers and all Amer- the American people about real estate? I, one thing is that 421A for New York, it's a property tax break for apartment developers. And, you know, housing in New York is a major, major issue, and it's just not possible – to uh, you know, build housing and incentivize developers to build without 421A, and that's something that should be on people's you know front of mind for people when they're thinking about who they're voting for and what they want from their city officials. And the laws so that New York, 
Congresswoman Mayutakis, go ahead. The laws that New York put in place also as it relates to housing have been terrible. And you hear from landlords, both small landlords that own, let's say, a a, a three-apartment home. That stuff is causing major tax bases to leave the city, unfortunately, because now you have all of these investors. I talked to, uh, you know, uh, investors here in uh, Texas, and they're like, we're getting stupid money from people from New York who are like, you know, major landlords in New York who are taking their money and investing it in Texas because it's free and clear here. You could pretty much do whatever you want. But they've for just dispensified for landlords to reinvest in their own properties to give people the quality of life that they deserve. Uh, they are basically being penalized, landlords. Look at the, look at the well, tenant. And Bill O'Reilly just spoke about the quality of life in New York. If they don't, if they don't uh, take care of the bail law and make New York City safe again, we're going to eventually be in trouble. Yeah, and look, there's there's fifty thousand apart at least. That's what's known. There's fifty thousand apartments that are known that are off the market right now. That's what's causing the rents to shoot up this way because landlords are like, I'm not going to rent to a bad tenant. I'd rather have the thing sit empty until the laws change, until the rents get so crazy that like people are like, well, we got to we got to incentivize the landlords now. I have so landlords. I have landlords in my district in Staten Island where they're renting, let's say, a basement apartment, and they're not being paid. They're going to foreclose on their mortgage. They're going to lose their home because of the laws that put people who – the bad actors that don't want to pay their rent you can't ahead of those them. hardworking people who are just trying to – The congresswoman is absolutely correct. You can't evict these people, and the courts are jammed up. They're backed up because of COVID. There's not enough housing court judges. So the small landlords are the ones that are suffering the most. The, uh, yeah, the well, most, landlords the are regular problems. people, a lot too. Of people assume not that when you say landlords in New York, you're talking about a guy with a top hat and a monocle. That's not the case. Most landlords are small family landlords. They're like three families. Some guy who lives on the top floor, the bottom floor, and exactly. rents on the two units. Those That's are the people most of the landlords. that are hurt. And those are the people who have... Yeah, because the big landlords, they're going to be okay. You know, they have enough stuff, a lot of, you know, for, for the most part, they're going to be okay. But, they, you know, they have enough stuff that they could, uh, you know, go out there and make things happen. But the small landlords are the ones who suffer the most. Well, thank you, Amir Karanji, the publisher and founder of the Bible of the real estate industry, The Real Deal. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, John. Take care. We'll catch up again soon. And uh, Congresswoman Maliotakis, another issue that faces a lot of people here in New York City, specifically those in Staten Island, I wanted to ask you, how do we battle congestion pricing? A lot of the people that come from Staten Island come into the city, they're already paying super high tolls, right, to go to their doctor's appointments, to go to work. Then on top of this, and we know, like John says, this is all a scam, right, to kind of fund the MTA because they're losing revenue up the butt. Because because, they're fair Exactly. So what can we do because I can only imagine how frustrated your constituents and yourself must be at this point. Yeah, it was 2019 when Governor uh, Cuomo passed this into law. I was a state legislator at the time. I voted against it uh, because it is another tax. It, it is another cash grab. Um, we are seeing people uh, who are struggling to get by, right, with high tolls and, and taxes. And, and gas. Gas prices, all of it, inflation. And here at this time, they, meaning the governor, the mayor, Uh, And the Democrat politicians that voted for the congestion pricing scheme want to implement now another fee to enter New York's to enter Manhattan's center. Now, this is going to affect every all the outer boroughs. Right. And if you right now, it goes back to John's point. If they want people to ride the subway and that is what this is about, gaining revenue for the MTA. I don't. Yeah. Then they need to make the subways safer. They need to expand our transit options. But to implement another toll for people who are relying uh, on 
to their cars to get to work. If you are a nurse right now and you're working the overnight shift, do you want to take the Nicole, subway? if you had children, would you send him down the subway right now? Well, I mean, that, but that's the no. whole, the whole, the whole How about point. enforce the fare? I have two you know, daughters. Tony the no. you have two daughters. Would you allow them down the Can subway? Can I tell you something? Honestly, five years ago, I used to kind of chide them for not knowing the subway system. Now I wouldn't let them down there ever. Judge, you have two daughters. Never let them on the subway. Well, wow. we're trying to stop it at the federal level. There isn't there is a, um, a maybe an angle for us because uh, they have to get sign off. But my concern is you have the former commissioner of the DOT under Bill de Blasio as the deputy secretary under Pete Buttigieg. They're going to try to steamroll this through uh, myself and Josh Gottheimer, New Jersey congressman, a Democrat. It's a bipartisan effort that we're trying to stop this. Uh, and and they want to, you know, it's the first in the nation, by the way. So they don't even want to do their due, due diligence of a of a proper environmental impact statement, uh, economic study. How will this impact not just the residents in the outer boroughs who rely on their vehicles to get to work if they don't have adequate transit options or they have to go into the Manhattan? Businesses, uh, the businesses in Manhattan. The businesses in Manhattan. The people, we're trying to get this economy in our city back on track. And this is only going to further... This hurts it's a the money economy, grab. it hurts tourism, it hurts everything. But it's why another should we, tax. It's another tax on communities. But why should New Yorkers have to pay for the incompetence of the MTA, for this ideology, this radical left ideology that we're, all of a sudden nobody has to pay for the subway? Why should we have to pay it? Hardworking Americans and hardworking New Yorkers like... Tony, you're in line for the for the. We see people stealing from the CVS, and you but feel I, like I don't a think sucker you're as it is. Greg enough credit for making the subway free. But the, 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 so the well, that's the whole thing. Look, we want to make we got to make New York City safe again, so we attract tourists, so the residents come back, so people want to come into Manhattan to see a show and maybe go to dinner. You know, that's what it's about. But I, you know, believe me, if they do move forward with this, we are going to make sure that Staten Island, at minimum, gets a credit for the toll we already pay to connect to the rest of the city. It's, but why it's should, crazy. It's yeah, crazy. why should anyone have to pay a thirty-five dollar fee to connect to the rest of their city? And if they have to come in every day, what kind of numbers are you talking about? I mean, about? thousands we're, of dollars. We're thousands talking about regular middle class people. That's the Why point. Do they, they're it's killing a real us. tax on working people coming into the city. Well, just like inflation with the Biden administration. Now, talk another cost that we have to incur as New Yorkers and even Mayor Adams is actually realizing it the migrants that are pouring into the state because we're a shelter state, right? We have a legal obligation. Anybody comes here, they have no home, you got to put them up, right? And so now, I almost said de Blasio, but yeah, uh, Adams is is lamenting about it. And we knew this was going to happen with the open borders. I mean, what did they expect? Where did they think these people were going to go? Who's going to pay for their education? Who's going to pay for their housing, their medical? I mean, it's outrageous, and we have to pay for it now? Yeah, the tide is turning because you see all these Democrats, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, the the mayor in Washington, D.C. or here in New York City, who, who wanted to be sanctuary cities, right? And now we're seeing that um, there's a real impact on, on, on the taxpayers of our city. There are only so many resources. We, we, it's not an unlimited pot of money. We don't have unlimited classroom seats or unlimited hospital beds. That there is a drain if, if people are not paying into the system or we're not expanding our infrastructure. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. So the, the open borders policy, and I'm, I'm the daughter of immigrants. I very much want to help people. You're a Greco-Cubano. I am. And you know what? I helped 50... People become United States citizens in my first year in Congress. People who did, followed the rules, did everything right, just just wanted, had been stuck in this red tape and bureaucracy. Right. We should all be doing that as members of Congress, helping those people. We should be fixing the system to make it um, so people don't have to wait a decade. 
But what is happening at the southern border is outrageous. And we know that the nefarious activities of the drug cartels, the human traffickers, they're taking advantage of the open border system. So not only are you getting um, an influx of individuals that the taxpayers of the United States have to support, but on top of that, we're dealing with the fentanyl you mentioned before, the drug traffickers, right, the human trafficking, the women and children who are abused along the way. I visited the border to see little children crying because they were raped on this journey, and this president is allowing it to happen. It's an absolute disgrace. Why the president of the United States would side with the drug cartels and the people who are committing these horrific crimes. If We, we, we should be providing more visas for people who want to come here and want to work and want to contribute. No, I said, look, I, I am an immigrant. I am pro-immigration. Yeah. But there's got to be checks and balances who's coming and going. Exactly. And now there's a new Axios report that they want to give legal IDs to migrants. What the heck? Or they can travel all over and get all well, the Well, is it about traveling or is it about it's voting? About a, is that, is that a, the October surprise, about, Congresswoman? Right now what do you they're think about using that? an arrest warrant or a deportation warrant to board an airplane. In a, in a post-9-11 world, how can we can allow this to happen? You can use an arrest warrant as ID, John. To get on a plane. I mean, it's crazy. It is crazy. And then the fact that they're like, oh, they're busting them in from the border and they're trying to demonize Governor Abbott of Texas. No, it's a Biden administration that's flying them it's, into Stewart International it's a total Airport abdication and of the, the White Biden Plains Airport. To enforce the immigration law. A total abdication. I'll tell you, it really approaches treason. Allowing our country to be invaded with unknown characters. Well, the congresswoman just mentioned human trafficking. You have those incidents where three dozen people, you know, die in the back of a truck. Fifty-three. It's, it's out of the news in one day. <laughs> yep. Imagine that. I know. Fifty-three people. Because it doesn't story. fit the narrative. It doesn't fit the narrative. That's what it is. It's, well, uh, it's outrageous. Actually, it says here in the first three months of the fiscal year 2022, TSA allowed nearly 45,000 migrants to use immigration enforcement <laughs> documents like arrest warrants as alternate forms of ID to fly within the United States. How can you say never forget 9-11 and allow this to happen? Congresswoman, you clearly you're a woman of character, of integrity, of courage. What is going on in Congress that more people do they are do they know that the country is headed in the wrong direction and they're too afraid to speak out or are they delusional like AOC in her imaginary handcuffs? <laughs> well, look, I, I, honestly, I, I think there is a group of people in Washington who want this to happen. It's by design. These policies are being put in place by design. Uh, and if you look at the president's policy, I don't know who is advising him from the Department of State, but every foreign policy decision he's made has put America last. And and so there's somebody in there who's doing this by, by design. The way, I got, to I got another one worse. I just got a uh, a text from uh, a borough president Vito Fasella in uh, in Staten Island, great your borough colleague, pre- great borough president. And he says uh, New York City to appeal the Staten Island judge's decision against non-citizen voting. So so let's bring in all the non-citizens you can. Give them voters registration cards. That's, and, that's exactly and what they're trying to do, John. voting rolls so they can vote for their own programs. And you don't have to benefits. bus them in. They fly them in. Yeah, I'm as proud to join. Uh, Vito, Vito did a great job spearheading this lawsuit. I was proud to join him. Maybe my mother was a plaintiff in this lawsuit. Uh, but we had people who were immigrants from China, from Cuba, from Egypt join us in this lawsuit. Uh, and 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 quite frankly, what they want to do is allow non-citizens to as, vote as, in our municipal elections. As long elections. as we know who they are. But that's, it's illegal. You know, that's illegal. what Ellis Island used to do. No, no, but let's go back to the But voting. it's illegal to ask for their ID, John. It's very simple. It's very simple. Non-citizens do not have a right to vote under the New York State Constitution. 
should be end of story. And the Adams administration should not be appealing this. They should well, leave it alone. Is that why uh, Judge uh, DeFiori uh, left? I don't know why she left, but out? I will. I will say I'm glad that I'm out? glad she's leaving after after we got the congressional lines fixed. Because what the Democrats tried right. to do in changing the push her out? I don't know. May probably right, probably. Let's, let's we got to take a break, and when we come back, we got a Dr. Peter Michalos. That there's a lot of new information out that COVID could set your brain back 20 years. Let's take that break. A lot of things can do that for me. Is too. that what happened to Biden? That's the Biden variant. <laughs> This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzvatidis Cats at Night show. Now on the line for us, Dr. Peter Mikolos. We're going to talk to him about a new British study that recently found that the original SARS COVID-2 virus can impair cognitive ability in a way equivalent to making the brain age by 20 years. Dr. Mikolos, what the heck is happening? Well, what's happening is that we're learning a lot more co- about COVID as these studies are coming out and people had severe COVID. Uh, what happened is at the University of Cambridge and the Imperial College of London, they followed thousands of people and then they compared them to the normal population that did not experience severe COVID. And they found that these people uh, afterwards, after testing them, uh, lost about 10 IQ points. And, uh, wow, ended up getting, big number. And, it is a big number, and uh, they had uh, areas of uh, cognition that they uh, their processing speed was uh, decreased, and they had uh, PTSD-like symptoms, anxiety. Their heart was uh, racing in some cases, and difficulty solving uh, problems, and just feeling uh, chronically fatigued. And some people theorize that it's either direct virus infiltration of the brain because we know when you are losing the smell in the first alpha and delta variant when it when it enters the nose through the olfactory nerve it's connected directly to the brain so that's how it enters the brain because it wants to go to an immune privileged area that uh, immune cells can't attack it in the brain with the blood brain barrier it's harder to get in there the other theory and now we know that that is a clotting disease that's why they learned how to anticoagulate people that you're getting tiny little microscopes strokes in the brain, many strokes from this disease. And the other one is it uh, affected leakage of blood vessels and caused microbleeds in the brain. So between all of those things, they think that uh, is causing this long-haul COVID, and there are long-haul COVID centers opening around the country to treat people who are having these uh, issues. So it does have an effect uh, on people uh, long-haul, and record number of people have applied for disability around the world because of this, and they haven't been able to function in their jobs or not function as well. So that's why when we tell people in WABC, treat early, you know, jump on it, you get diagnosed the first five days of the viral replication phase, and the immune system attacks the spike protein, and that's what probably generates all these cells that cause the clotting and these other problems. So if you can block the virus through either the oral antiviral drugs like the Paxlovid, the Malnupiravir, in other countries they use Avigan, and the uh, IV antibodies to cap the little knife keys that I call the spike protein because they basically punch through our cells. So when you cap them off and put a rubber mallet on it, then they can't penetrate anymore. So treat early. Don't think it's, you know, a lot of people just say, oh, it's no big deal. It's just a little cold. I'm fine the first three days. And suddenly it turns and it goes on. So if you have access to treatment, which we do now in the United States, it is readily available. 
and uh, that's what we uh, recommend people that they treat them. And then the other thing that's happening at the same time, we're dealing with another virus, but thank God it's not as lethal, the monkeypox virus, which is a different type of virus, a DNA virus. We lost 16,000 people, but the good news is only five deaths out of 16,000. Wow. Not very, it's not very uh, deadly, thank God. And many people who've been vaccinated against smallpox years ago, these viruses don't really mutate as much. It's been effective in protecting people, at least 70% who've had the smallpox a virus. The difference with this virus is you get the lymphadenopathy, which is swollen lymph nodes, and you get those weird pustules and uh, rashes on the body, unlike COVID, and it's not readily transmissible through the air. It's really close, intimate contact. That's why in the New England Journal study, um, there were 500 people and 98% uh, happened to be gay or bisexual men. Again, it's not that they're doing anything different. It'll happen to anybody, whoever is interacting with other people. And there is a vaccine, fortunately. So continue to uh, think positive and test negative and thank listen you. to WABC. Thank you, Dr. Michalos, and thank you for calling in. And you save many lives at, uh, of our listeners. And that way we get more listeners when you save the lives. Judge Weinberg, uh, Tony Carbonetti, thank you for being here. Congresswoman Mario Takis, thank you. Lydia, I'm glad you're back. And what do we stand for in this show? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American way. way. God bless and God bless America. Common sense. Throw that in there. Common sense. <laughs>